Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right. You speeding on your end? Yeah. Yeah. What movie are we doing again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen for the song. You'll find out. Okay, here we go. There's a bunch of witches on my screen. A phantasmagoric fever dream. Suspiria. Whoa. off the charts like a knife in a beating heart Jessica Harper better watch her tail or jump in it's gonna get it and she'll drag her ass straight to hell <laughs> to Suspiria we're talking so Suspiria Oh, so close to no cracks. <laughs> so close. Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Witchup. <laughs> and I'm Justin Witchum. <laughs> and with us, as always, is the Udo Kier of this podcast, Corey Witchford. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's the eyes. Just trying to think of a spooky, like a, a spooky name for Phil Collins, but I couldn't think of one.
Phil Witchens. Phil Witchens. Like <laughs> yeah, I didn't say that one for a reason. <laughs> Gory Clifford. Gory, Gory Clifford. Clifford. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, and each week, we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today. And in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place in the shelf or be tossed into a pit of barbed wire, Ooh. which I'll be honest, kind of just looked like a bunch of big old slinkies to It me. did. It did. <laughs> I was thinking that too. But it, I was also thinking about how... It would hurt. Yeah. It, it would. Hurt. It would definitely painful. hurt. It did made me laugh. It's so funny that like. Yeah. It wasn't like she just j- fell through a window into it. She jumps through the window, lands on her feet on a box, then basically cannonballs into <laughs> an off-screen pit. Yeah. But the can the camera reveals yes. it. But she she would have clearly seen see it. it. She just jumps right into. It. Did you ever sl- have a slinky, Corey? Sure. You did. Justin, Slinky? Yeah, I had one. Yes, yeah. I actually remember a Slinky at my grandmother's, at my mom's, because I would make it go down all the stairs. Mm-hmm. I had multiple. So I had the like a classic metallic Slinky. I had like a rainbow Slinky that did sort of like an ombre thing when you shifted it back and forth. For me, it was the scene in uh, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, that inspired mm. me to want a Slinky. When he sees that, he goes to like Tibet, yeah. and he sees that huge staircase. And, yeah. Decides That's to slinky. <laughs> slinky, slinky. I honestly, I had like all the classic toys. I had an Etch-A-Sketch. Yo-yo? A yo-yo. Mm-hmm. I had a Magic 8-Ball. Do you think slinkies are Did a thing anymore? Did you have a Stretch Armstrong? Is that classic? Actually, no. I never had one. Stretch never had, it is classic, though. The, uh, o- the only other classic that I, surprising. I wanted but didn't have was the uh, Easy Bake Oven. Ugh, I wanted an Easy Bake mm. Oven so bad. Never had one. Wait. Fun fact. In... Ninth grade, no, sorry, tenth grade. Marianne, my best friend, and mm-hmm. I, Been we um, tried to make pot brownies in an easy bake oven. Wow, of course you did. And they failed so bad, and they gave us food poisoning, and we puked <laughs> because <laughs> we, an easy bake oven is really just we using cooked like pot a light brownies. Bowl. We caught put, cooked pot brownies to go on a mission trip with this church for the that, church. Yeah, that we were like <laughs> went to just to hang out with the cool kids of the youth group uh-huh. and we ended up hating the mission trip so much that so we tried to eat these pot brownies but we had made them in an easy bake oven and they made us sick and, and did you use the easy bake oven because you had to was there no because real if oven you cook available pot brownies it makes your whole house smell like pot oh. and so we you thought you were like yeah we thought we were like we made them we used the easy bake oven in the woods and made the pot brownies there oh battery powered yeah wow yeah, yeah i wish i had one I had a creepy crawlers. That's cool. that's what I was gonna say. That, that's like the that was boy our version one. of an easy yes. bake oven. Yeah, that's so dumb. You didn't have that, Corey? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't even have the easy bake oven. Marianne did. Creepy crawlers were fucking awesome because you could that made little rubber toys. You would basically pour like a gelatin into these little molds that were shaped like scorpions and worms and and roaches and then you would, they weren't edible i thought they were, I thought like they were gummy, gummy they did the, first it started with yeah. just rubber and you were making these little rubber toys and then they introduced the the gummy edible one which i also had it tasted once like kids utter started shit. eating eating them and getting yeah. food poisoning yeah mm-hmm. well dying. now what they have which is, is just so like bleh, they have like easy bake oven quote unquote are like in again but they don't make real food you put in like a little 
I don't know, you put in like a little tiny circle into it. And then when you open it up, it makes it bakes you like a plush doll. Mm. Yeah. Very interesting. Weird, right. And then you have like a, I don't know. I can't remember dolls. the line of the toy, but Stretch Armstrong reminded me of it. But it was only rest. It was wrestling f- characters in a in like a doll, but the doll was like a stuffed animal, like a stuffed doll of the wrestler. Uh-huh. And I think you would like slam them, and they would make sounds when you. I, slam I know what them. you're ta- you know I remember what, what you're talking about. about. Yes. I remember one kind of like that, but it was like inflatable. But that could have been like the poor mm-hmm. man's version of it. They were probably yeah, called no, like, like WWF cloth. slammers or something. I, I know what you're talking about, Justin. Yeah, that kind of yeah, reminds me. As it, always, <laughs> when I was a little kid, I would go to my grandma's house, and I'd mentioned that my grandma's house is like a treasure trove of old retro stuff because my dad and my uncles all grew up there, and like all their toys and things, great board games and Mad magazines and stuff like that. And I remember as a little kid running into the room where like my uncle had grown up in. And I turned the corner and on the shelf was this head, this like skeletal, freaky looking head with like popped out bulging eyes and like a a shock of yellow hair on top. And it scared me so bad (laughs) that I like ran out of the room screaming and they had to hide it and I wouldn't go back into the room. And even like a year later, when we went back to my grandma's house, I was scared to go back to my grandma's house, a place that I usually loved going to because I was like, the head is there. So they had to call my grandma and like tell her, like, can you like throw the head away? And I remember having to get on the phone with my grandma and she was like, I got rid of it. I threw it in the trash. It won't be here. I promise. And then later on in life, when the internet got introduced, I remembered that and thought, what was that? And tried to Google it and couldn't figure it out like couldn't find it on google what what this head was Mm -hmm. and then maybe like two years ago i follow an instagram account that does like retro commercials and stuff and they posted a commercial for the head it was called something like monster face it was like a hasbro monster face and basically it was kind of like a demented mr potato head where it was this skeletal head with all these holes in it and it came with like tons of accessories of like ears and fangs and eyeballs and you could create your own monster head in actuality this was your dream toy i would love to have one now yeah this thing looks cool it's scary right it's freaky looking it is freaky this is what your grandma had my (laughs) uncle my uncle had it and he had it sitting on a shelf just like pre-built he'd made a monster head and just left it on the shelf moved out of the house my uncle was a full-grown adult at this point And yeah, now I would have one and I would put it on the shelf, kind of like I've conquered my fear, you know? I, now I can live with my fear on the shelf. I was just asking Corey recently if, she had, um, if she'd ever had like an irrational fear that she had overcome. You know, like when people are like deathly afraid of flying and then they can start flying again. Uh, and you, don't, you didn't have one. I don't think so. D- do you ever have an irrational fear that you then had to overcome? Like the head that I overcame? <laughs> <laughs> Um, good question. Listeners, if you've had an irrational fear <laughs> that you've gone over, send us an email. I think we're just such rational, we're such rational people that we just don't have irrational fears. All of our fears are legitimate. Yeah. I have fears of rashes, getting a rash. Mm. Does, that, does that count as I didn't irrational? say a rash hole fear. Fears of getting rashes on your holes. All, all the different types of holes. <laughs> I have... So many holes. As humans have a lot of holes all over. Uh, I have some some physical media news. Huh. And it's really sad. Oh. Oh, no. 
it's a turn i think it's a turning point in our culture <gasps> i think it's a, this is a um this is a dark time okay starting january 2024 best buy is trashing all physical media no! from their stores they're not selling blu-rays <gasps> or dvds or hd blu-rays yeah. anymore wow they're, they're done well and I they're will keeping say- they're keeping some video games for now but their plan is to trash those too. That is a little bit of a sign of the times, but I will say, had you told me that back in the year 2004, I would have been devastated. <laughs> but I can't tell you the last time I bought a fucking DVD I from bought Best you, Buy. Are you kidding me? The last time we went to Best Buy, you were like, I'm going to the DVD section. Yeah, and I your never mind buy was, anything because there's nothing I, there. I bought you something. What are you talking about? What was it? Baby Boy Blue? What was it? Blue Baby? Are you talking about Belly? Belly. 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 You bought me Belly from, from Best Buy? Yes. <laughs> yes, because when we were at Best Buy, uh-huh. you were shocked. You were like, oh my God, they have a Blu-ray of Belly. Or that like, was shocking. The reason why it was shocking is because Best Buy doesn't have well, shit anymore. So you need to walk that shit back because Best point, Buy has supported you. My point is, is that Best Buy has been on the downslope for physical media for a long time. But to time. not sell any physical it's, media yeah, at that's all wild. that's insane i mean but i don't i'm not surprised well, they're not even they're not even doing it online though that's the thing no more no more physical media in their store or online Ooh. and i guess it's just like it just seems like they're losing on, honestly it, it does feel like something that would have happened five years ago yeah. i'm surprised it took them this long to get rid of it but maybe maybe this is the beginning of other stores starting to to do the same i hope not and i guess we're we we're one day we have to prepare for no more physical media period i mean does it does it feel to you like that might be inevitable might be yeah yeah I mean, but i also be. think that things will all are always circular because now like CDs aren't made anymore, but albums like records yeah. are super in again. Like Taylor Swift put all of her albums out. Like like so many people I know are like super into records again. Right. And like and that was always kind of like a niche thing, like cool, like yeah. whatever to have records. But now I feel like like everybody has a record player and records and, and stuff like that. Like the record industry, which is I think no longer really at the chokehold of the the recording industry. It's right. like it's it's all these sort of like pop up independent manufacturers that make all these things. The same thing with I think the majority of DVD and Blu-ray sales are coming from like the diabolic DVDs and the indicators and the places that are like repertory theaters but for dvd manufacturing like yeah the the studios have long since given up on dvds and blu-rays but i think now the industry is being held up by those like more uh the real people Mm -hmm. the, the salt of the earth and so as long as those places are still able to stay in business i feel like we'll still be able to get our physical media now when it comes to newer movies that's different because it's like they are they are repertory in they're they're producing great physical media for older films. They're keeping film history alive, but it's like, you know, I know there's a big call for like Barbarian to be on Blu-ray because it's just not. That's wild. Big horror movie of last year made a lot of money in theaters. There's no physical media release whatsoever. And there's a demand for it, particularly in that genre. Uh, but it ain't happening. And so yeah, it's tricky when it comes to to new release stuff. And that's a bummer. Yeah, I guess both movies and music have entered a world of streaming where you can find anything, almost most of what you want streaming, maybe more so with music than with film. Yeah. And 
then for records to come back is exciting, but that is like something that you you can listen to alone, you can share with friends, you can play at a party. And I guess I can't really articulate it, but there's something about the record and the physical media there and that album mm-hmm. uh, jacket and the process of the record spinning that mm-hmm. feels like it makes sense to me that like people would think that's cool and want to show that off. I'm just having a hard time imagining someone pulling a DVD off the shelf <laughs> You know, in 2050, and saying, "Check this shit out." Want to watch mm. this baby I spin? This, I have this. I have this movie on a little 5.5 inch disc in my dreams. Yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Well, speaking of dreams, dreams. That works. <laughs> I feel that like works. I said speaking of dreams in the last episode, but it works. Weesh. This is quite a dreamy movie. Justin, tell the people what movie we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about 1977's Suspiria. Roses are red, violets are blue. The iris is the flower that will mean the end of it. You can run from Suspiria. From Suspiria. Suspiria. But you cannot escape. Suspiria. The only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of Suspiria. Are the first ninety-two? <laughs> wow, that's amazing. The, I, we have we have to steal that. Yeah, yeah, that it, you definitely should. I will say the timing is wrong. I looked up and did the math, and it's not the right runtime of the film, <laughs> even in its extended version. And you know what the runtime of the movie is? Chef's fucking kiss. A solid. 98 minutes? It's perfect. On Wikipedia, it says 99, but yeah, I think it was like 98 or 99. So Suspiria. So, like, the perfect length for a horror movie. Suspiria is Latin for uh, sigh, which I think is the reason why when people say it, they say, Suspiria. Suspiria. Although, when I think of a sigh, I think more of like, (sighs) Suspiria. (sighs) The sound people make when they listen to this podcast. Every time they hear how much longer Jack's song is, like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Did you ever remember the Zima commercials? Ah, Zima. Zima. Yeah. Honestly, one was of my- Was Zima alcoholic? Yeah. It, it was, was alcohol. alcoholic, yeah. What's Zima? Do you not remember Zima? It was a booze. It was like a, I want to say- Kind of like was a seltzer or Like something. a off ice, but yeah. for the 90s. Yeah. Ah, Zima. Honestly, one of the biggest bummers of my life is that I've never had a Zima. I don't even think it's made anymore. Exactly. It's like, it's something that I remember growing up seeing commercials for it and thinking it looked good, not even understanding that it was an alcoholic beverage. But now I can't have one. Never had Madeline Zima from The Nanny? Um, no. You never had eczema on your skin? 
Oh, I do oh. have that. Do you have it on your? Do you have it on your? My dick. Just erase that. <laughs> erase that. <laughs> I lotion it every day. Just erase that. Just erase that. Normally, I start this conversation with asking y'all what your relationships to this movie was, but I figured I would start this time. I don't own a physical copy of this movie. Justin was the one who threw this on the slate of our October spooky movie month. I've actually only seen this movie one time before. I remember renting this movie back when it came out on that Anchor Bay release. Did you see that release? Was that when you kind of first saw this movie, Justin? Yeah, it's like the three disc. Yep. Three disc version. Probably like 2002, 2003, Anchor Bay did like a big release of Suspiria on DVD. And I remember renting that, watching the movie, enjoying it. Liking it, it got me to want to explore Italian horror cinema, movies from Lucio Fulci, Mario Bava, Umberto Lindsay. Giallos. Giallos. It got me invested in it, but I didn't love, love, love the movie. I just sort of thought it was fine. I did get into Dario Argento, though. I saw all of his other movies. My favorite of his has always been the movie Opera. And I liked Phenomena with Jennifer Connelly. And I liked Deep Red. I kind of considered all those movies to be better. And maybe part of that is because Suspiria is the one that everybody talks about. And on top of all that, I adore the 2018 Luca Guadagnino remake. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the best horror movies in the last 10 years. So when you threw this out there to do, I was very curious about how I would feel about the movie so many years later. And I got to be fucking honest, I thought this movie rocked. (laughs) (laughs) I had such a different experience this time than the first time I watched it. My jaw was on the floor this entire movie. From the opening Mm -hmm. sequence to, to the end, I was verbally going like, holy shit. Throughout the entire Well, the way that it looks movie. is shocking. Like, it's so beautiful in such like a, like the colors are so intense mm-hmm. that you just, I don't know. It's it is gore- like you just want to talk about the way that it looks the whole time. To me, it's like music mm-hmm. for film, mm-hmm. you know, like it. there's not really like a super coherent plot. There's not really like even good character work going on here. <laughs> <laughs> there is. A pair of extremely tight pants, and I look forward to oh, talking about that. And I have a, a theory. Bit later. I have a bit of a theory you about do. that. Those tight pants too. I've never seen. What do you call that for a guy? A camel's hump? A camel's or something? toe? Camel's no. toe? No. I mean, men usually have a camel's hump. No, a camel toe a is camel a woman. Toes for... But that's what I'm saying. It's it gives him a camel's toe. Uh, right. Because <laughs> the ball split. <laughs> splits his yeah. junk yeah. in half. It's insane. <laughs> you guys, if you haven't seen Suspiria, keep your you eyes out. You got to check it out for this for camel's toe, this male camel's toe. But um, yeah, I, this movie is like music to me because it's it affects you completely on an emotionally aesthetic level. We should have a conversation about style over substance because I think this movie is style as substance. You know, it's it's really driven purely on aesthetic, but it is mesmerizing. It's like the holy mountain or eraser head. It sustains its 98-minute runtime by being so gorgeously made. Mm-hmm. I was literally gobsmacked watching this movie. What do you think changed for you? Well, I'll tell you one aspect of it. Uh, we don't. I don't own the physical media release, so I watched this on Criterion Channel, and Criterion has a completely remastered, uncut version of it that they uh, have on their streaming network right now. And um, I don't think I've ever seen it look this good. You know what I mean? I think that even that Anchor Bay release 
and my memory was muddier. This was crystal clear in a way that felt completely new to me. Same images I've seen before, but just looked way more stunning. How did, how did you watch the movie? Still out of town. Uh, so unfortunately, I couldn't watch it on the Blu-ray that I own. I think that was a new remaster that came out maybe right before the Luca Guadagnino remake. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2018. Uh, Synapse Films, steel book with a slipcover, a little booklet, uh, a soundtrack. It's 1080p Blu-ray, but from a 4K remaster, and uh, probably a bonus disc of special features, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But didn't have access to that. I didn't know it was on Criterion, so I got it on Apple TV through the Paramount Plus channel, whatever mm-hmm. that means mm-hmm. on Apple TV. <laughs> but it looked good. It looked good. Yeah, watched it on my MacBook. MacBook Pro, M2 MacBook Pro. <laughs> Those colors popped on that uh, LCD display. Well, what was your feelings rewatching it this time? I've always been a fan. I guess nothing. I don't know if I could like it more than I could a movie that doesn't have a meaningful plot or meaningful yeah. character work. Like mm-hmm. I think one one of the things I'm reflecting on as it's featured in this pod, starting to kind of see the audience that we're developing and the people who are responding to the show, is this a movie? For the person who doesn't just come to the pod for horror, if you don't like horror, do you think you could get into this movie? I don't know. I mean, it's visually stunning. Is that enough to get somebody who doesn't normally watch this kind of stuff, let alone 70s Italian Mm -hmm. horror movies with really awkward dubbing? (laughs) I think because of the length of the movie, yes. I think if it was any longer, it would be too much of a slog because I had my relationship is I had no relationship with this movie. I've only ever seen the new one and I'm a huge Luca Guadagnino fan. So I love the new Suspiria. So I was like, am I going to like a 70s like horror film? But I had such a good time with this movie. And I don't know if I would have if it was two hours long. Sure. But overall, you maybe that's the sell too. Yeah. I think that watch, is a major uh, sell. Watch the watch oh, the yeah, original yeah, yeah. on one night. And then watch the remake, Suspiria, the next night. That's what we did. And I think it's been really, I think it's really fun. Because they're extremely different. And it was really interesting, too, to watch. At this point, I would say I was more familiar with the remake than the original. So it was very interesting to watch them back to back. It made watching the new one feel newer and fresher because Uh I didn't, I actually wasn't aware of all the ways that it tied in to Mm -hmm. the original because I'd only seen the original one time. So I wasn't sure what they were pulling from. I remembered certain big set pieces from the original, but characters, you know, I didn't realize that like all the characters from the original movie are in the remake and a lot of the sequences and sort of not set pieces, but just the the turn of events are similar uh, in it in a way that kind of surprised me. I expected it to be more different. Um, now, the the remake does add a ton more than what mm-hmm. the original brings, uh, particularly when it comes to the dancing aspect of yeah. it. The, I think that is one of the big factors that the the remake has on this one. For a movie about a dance school, there is a shockingly no small amount of dancing in this movie. For better or for worse, you know, maybe he's not interested in it. The, the rigor of a school with that much prestige uh-huh. and discipline 
I think lends itself well to horror. For and sure. So I think the Big first time. one does a disservice by not emphasizing that. Yeah. I agree. You can see a version where had they done the dance more and uh, it almost would have felt like musical numbers or something because of the way this movie looks and feels. It's so vibrant, which is another differentiation from the remake, which mm-hmm. is much Very dark. Yeah, much drabber. I think still beautiful and still has an effective an extremely effective atmosphere because oh, of yeah. it. But this one does too. I, I was just I was really shocked at how much I enjoyed this revisit compared to the way I'd always thought about this movie um, really took yeah. me by surprise. The movie's not, it's not too scary um, mm-hmm. no. at all. Maybe I do, I do think the last 12 minutes are definitely more terrifying than the first 99 or <laughs> yes. whatever. The, <laughs> so they didn't lie. There, there's some stuff at the end that I think is really effective, mm-hmm. but for the most part, the movie is not that scary. No, it's but more fever that dream. That being said, I think I appreciate the boldness, especially considering how much horror these days and throughout the last 30 years has been desaturating their color palette in order to create mood mm-hmm. or dread or atmosphere. Yeah. It was just really refreshing to see a revisit an older horror movie that wasn't afraid to use color. And uh, to what effect? Does it make it scarier? No. No. But it just makes it more interesting. For sure. I think it still holds the mantle because you've seen this style attempted to be replicated a lot. Edgar Wright most recently tried to do this sort of look and feel with that movie Last Night in Soho. That's a good looking movie, but it didn't affect me visually the way. Well, would you this say Midsommar kind me. of you, like? I mean, it's like the brightest horror movie that I can think of in well, recent years. I see them differently because Midsommar is all lit by sunlight. Yeah, this movie has expressionistic lighting like there is real yeah. lighting going on in this movie not to mention the the set design and the costumes those are all incredible so much of the style comes from the gels that they're putting on the lights and the way they're shaping it in the light changes like there's a lot of light gags in this movie that lends itself to that operatic style that Dario Argento is, yeah. is known for last night and so it was a big disappointment but I, I do feel like Nicholas Winding Refn hasn't really tackled Giallo, but his work has that color. Definitely. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. when I think the way that uh, Drive-In, Only God Forgives, Big time. has Neon Demon too. Giallo-inspired color palette. And wasn't he supposed to direct the remake? Was it him or Edgar Wright? That no, was it was David Gordon attached? Green. It was David Gordon Green. David Gordon Green. Before Luca Guadagnino, it, it was Gordon Green for many years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the filmmaker that this movie made me think about a lot Weirdly enough, was Wes Anderson in the set design? Mm, yeah, I can see that. It was almost feels like uh, I've never heard him talk about Dario Argento, but it wouldn't actually surprise me if Argento was sort of an influence on him, just in terms of how immaculately you can design an image. Yeah, Corey, have you you have you heard the term giallo before? No. You'd never heard it before. No, I was wondering what you guys were talking about, and I context loose put it together. It's a defines like an Italian yeah. genre of film. This one actually stands out quite a bit because most giallos aren't supernatural. Uh, a lot of them are murder mysteries with like a killer. It's just an Italian film, or it's the style. No, so the the word giallo means yellow in Italian, mm-hmm. and it's based off of these. Um, Paperbacks, murder mystery, crime paperbacks, these pulp novels that were popular in Italy at the time, and they all had yellow 
book jackets on them. And so these movies, series of movies started to come out that were very much like these novels. And so they got deemed as giallo films. And hallmarks of a giallo where there's usually like a, a masked or unseen killer that you typically only see their hands for most of the movie. Most of the time, those hands are gloved, like black patent leather gloves, holding a knife or a piano wire or a hatchet. Uh, they're usually overly gory. They have like uh, uh, really stylized set pieces, expressionistic camera work. The colors were always very vivid in them. They sort of uh, defined themselves as being operatic in style and tone, but always in sort of a uh, thriller mystery genre. Interesting. And some hallmark giallo films are Argento's Deep Red, uh, Lucio Fulci's The New York Ripper, Cat of Nine Tales, Don't Torture a Duckling, Tenebrae, um, Four Flies on Grey Velvet. Started in Italy, but there were American ones too, like Dress to Kill. De Palma was sort of an American. You know I love Dress to Kill. Giallo director. Alice Sweet Alice was another one. The Eyes of Laura Mars. Some uh, people say Cruising. Uh, William Friedkin's Cruising kind of qualifies as a as a giallo. I know what you did last summer. Does that count? I think you could probably make the case for it. Yeah, I think you could make the case. I for like it. that because he's in that slicker and yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. And and that's the other the- reputation of the giallo is it inspired what we all now know as the '80s slasher boom, the Friday oh. the Thirteenth, Black Christmas, Halloween, uh, The Prowler, stuff like that. That all kind of was a response to the popularity of the Italian giallo. And Dario Argento was one of the the spearheads of the genre. Yeah, he's he came from. He was a screenwriter for uh, Sergio Leone. Mm-hmm. Who did like Good, Bad, and the Ugly and all the spaghetti westerns? And you can definitely feel that influence on his style. He was also hugely into Hitchcock. You can feel Hitchcock's influence mm-hmm. on the style. And he was influenced by like the German expressionist uh, movies, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and stuff like that. The Red Rooms and this uh, constantly, I just kept thinking of The Shining the whole time. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been any talk before of like was Kubrick the Shining, like Kubrick by being inspired by? I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past him. I know because The Shining came out after this, right? It came yeah. out in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Came out in nineteen eighty. Has that ever been talked about? Not to my knowledge, but I wouldn't. Did be surprised. you think that? Did either of you think that? A we'll little bit. It? A little bit. I could see that. It gave yeah. me I think such a lot the of Shining films vibes. Are, I mean, this I think had a transformative aspect in uh, the horror space mm-hmm. for many years to come. Yeah. Interesting to think that he and De Palma were basically coming up at the same time. I've never heard De Palma talk about this movie, but I would be curious to know what his take was on it because he was a contemporary of him. And so I wonder if there was like, Carrie had come out before this movie and I got a lot of Carrie vibes from this as well. for sure. I mean, the whole reason why Dario Argento cast Jessica Harper is because he saw her in Phantom of the Paradise. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he's like, Argento's a hack or if he's like, I love Argento. You know, he was making great movies and I love- It bums me out that every single person I talk to who loves musicals Mm -hmm. does not know that movie. Phantom of the Paradise? And it's a shame. Yeah. I don't know yeah. that movie, and I love musicals. Do I need to yeah. watch it? It's De Palma. It's a De Palma musical, so it's like it's just quirky rock and roll take on the Phantom of the Opera. It's kind of like imagine this if it was a musical, and and also had like a lot more humor injected into it. Too. I want to see it's it. A comedy sparked my interest. Yeah, we should do it for the pod. What is your thoughts on style over substance? Are you critical of directors that are deemed style over substance? I usually hate it. I usually hate it, and I think that's that's what I've been feeling these days with Wes Anderson yeah. and movies like Asteroid City. It it doesn't mean anything to me anymore because 
I think style is a dime a dozen. There's just a lot, there's a lot of rich movies throughout history that I can get, get my kicks from, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I don't know. Substance is some substance. I feel like style is a little bit for me is a little bit more timeless. Like if I usually, if I like the style of something, uh, early on in my life when I'm younger, that usually still holds up later on. Yeah, but substance is constantly evolving and constantly changing as right. you change. Your taste and style can still change and evolve. Obviously, I just feel like your perspective and POV as a human being is, is evolving a little bit more rapidly. And that's a little bit harder to achieve. How do you as a filmmaker make something that speaks to everyone? You can't do mm-hmm. that. Right. But something that speaks to me you know, to an individual, that's an exciting thing when that happens. Yeah. I feel like we can all agree, like, damn, this style is cool. This this music sounds awesome. This the visuals are, are stunning. But like, did the movie speak to me? Did the movie touch me? I don't know. That's why I tend to prefer substance. I want to be moved. I'm usually moved by the substance and then the craft around it, the style around it is beautiful chorus notes that are just yeah. sending everything home. But I, it, somehow this movie, get, it gets away with it. For well, me. I feel like you in know, the age I'm, of social media and like technology now, I feel like that's why style doesn't feel as special anymore because everybody can do it. It's like with Wes Anderson, yeah. what, a couple months ago, every single video I saw on TikTok or Instagram was like somebody recreating the Wes Anderson, like going to the grocery store as a Wes Anderson film or something. It's like anybody in a lot of ways with filters and all of this stuff can't do it maybe as masterfully obviously but it's like it's at people's fingertips so easily but if you can combine that with substance i feel like it's different watching old movies with style and new movies with just style if that makes sense yeah i think sometimes it's mislabeled like i think for a movie like this, or even a movie like 2001 A Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. or, or Nicholas Winding Refn's movies, like I think people apply all style over substance on those because those are movies that feel at times plotless, or they feel like, what is this movie trying to say, or what is this, what, what am I watching here? Yeah. I think there are movies that truly are capable of hypnotizing you, and part of me thinks that in order for you to be hypnotized, you have to, much like uh, meditation, you have to be able to clear your mind a little bit. And I think the reason why The Shining is so effective, which I think is another movie that sometimes people call style over substance, I think it's so effective because it's not saying, here's the plot, you got to follow along. Oh, this thing leads to this thing, this thing leads to this thing. It's drawing you in hypnotically. I think in the very much the same way that this movie does. And when that works, when that's powerful, it can be really powerful, at least to me. Some people maybe I think are allergic to it and they're just like, what's going on here? They need the movie to kind of tell them what to care about and think about. I like it when a movie kind of lets me wander through it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and there's bad versions of that, but... For something like this, for something like The Shining, 2001, uh, Only God Forgives, like these are hypnotic movies that I love to return to and I get fulfilled by them. Emotionally, I find themes in them and it's because it's kind of allowing me to do the work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I want to do the work. I think movies from Lynch also check that box too, where he doesn't always have a plan, but the 
the films are surreal and dreamlike mm-hmm. and and they can just we can just appreciate a movie a, <clears throat> a movie that has a lot of style could be a movie that's very primal or has a lot of archetypes or has a lot of like subconscious imagery dreamlike imagery mm-hmm. and why why does everything have to resemble uh, a very one note hollywood narrative save the cat structure to be considered you know substance uh i think substance comes in many forms to us but uh maybe one of the reasons why people are more critical of nicholas winding refin is because mm-hmm. he's just so arrogant <laughs> yes in interviews. you have to be like, willing to so smug yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah i think his personality off screen has uh makes people less willing to go with him when he's trying yeah. to hypnotize you Whereas somebody like Kubrick, people are like, well, he's Kubrick. I'm going to he let him hypnotize He does hypnotize, me. though. Drive? That movie uh, I agree. I, I think banger. Nicholas Winding Refn is a great filmmaker. Yeah. He's a ridiculous person. Okay, you're getting person. sleepy. You're getting sleepy. <laughs> I'm hypnotizing you. I'm the best hypnotist ever. And I'm hypnotizing. You're falling asleep so beautifully because I'm yes. the best. I mean, I don't... I. The, I don't know what Dario Argento even sounds like. I have an image in my head, but I've actually never seen an interview with Dario Argento. He might be the most obnoxious guy in the world, but I'm taking his movies as they are. You know, I'm just taking the movies as the movies. They work on me. That's why I think it's like more exciting sometimes not to meet the filmmaker. Oh, for sure. Just for sure. I don't want to know. So many paint. We look at so many paintings without ever knowing Mm -hmm. who the painter is or what they look like or what they sound like. Corey and I just got back from Italy where we saw so much classic art and sculpture. And the most fun thing to do was look at it and, you know, learn about it, hear it from the tour guides about all the context that we're looking at. And then the first thing we would do is like theorize on like, what was Michelangelo actually like? You know, what was his real intentions? And it was so fun. It's because we have no clue. We don't really know what Michelangelo was was like. At least we don't. You know, there's probably people out there who have studied him and, and know more. but. It was really fun to just take the art and then see what that tells us about the artist. Michelangelo was the one with the orange bandana. bandana. Mm-hmm. And the nunchucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Got it. The amount of fucking times Jack would bring that up <laughs> while we're in fucking Italy. And the amount of times that after we would leave a museum, he'd be like, so now do you know all the Ninja Turtles names? And I couldn't ever remember all of them. Every still. museum we went to would have a Leonardo da Vinci, a Raphael, a Michelangelo. There were some Donatello's. They were never in the museums, though, but no. outside there was some Donatello sculptures, too. Donatello is the one I could never remember. My favorite. Well, let's take a quick break. <laughs> and when we come back, we'll talk more in depth about <sighs> the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, the Ninja Turtles. They do come up every episode. Them, Ar- Arnold every, Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger. Ari Aster, was, and the Ninja Turtles. I was looking at the Michelangelo the other day. And my cigar accidentally lit it on fire. Okay. All right, we'll be right back, folks. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking 1977's Suspiria. Suspiria. Which, right away, Goblin Score hits us, brings us right into the movie. Good score. We've also mentioned, too, on the Exorcist episode that John Carpenter was heavily inspired by this Goblin Score, as well as Tubular Bells from the Exorcist for his Halloween score. Uh, and you can sort of hear that. There, this This main theme is very, like, music box it sounds very childlike it definitely plays into that fairy tale vibe that argento is going for i'd actually heard this tune well before i ever saw this movie i feel like it popped up on like a lot of halloween compilation mm. cds i would hear it at like the spirit halloween stores in fact i'd heard i heard it so much that i thought it was kind of just like a generic spooky tune like the Haunted Mansion theme or something. Like I didn't actually realize it was a theme to a movie. So I remember when I saw this, I was like, oh, this is that song I've heard a million times. Yeah. I read somewhere that they made the song before they even started yep. shooting mm-hmm. the film. And he would play the the music on set to get the actors in the mood because fun. another um, aspect of Italian filmmaking that differs from American filmmaking is they don't Oftentimes, they did not record onset sound. They fully dubbed their movies. Part of that is for ease. Part of that is is for, uh, that's just kind of the way they did it. But also, I think, too, is because they were making movies for American and international markets. They knew they were going to have to dub all these people anyways. Some of the supporting characters, you can absolutely tell, are Italians being dubbed by Americans because there's just something weird going on with <laughs> There's there's like a, yeah. a uncanny valley thing going on. The whole movie, Corey was like, "That can't be that person's uh-uh. voice." There's no way yeah. some of these. I think this is probably the hardest, going to be the hardest point of entry for most people. Like, it's such a weird thing to see the whole movie dubbed, yeah, and voices to not match up. It's <laughs> yeah. a, I think it's just off putting to people who are not used to it. For sure, yeah. But that's common in all Jallos and a lot of spaghetti westerns. You'll see that. I love the opening sequence of this movie. I think uh, it's again. I was I I was saying holy shit right off the freaking yeah. bat. Even in the airport, I thought it looked amazing. Jessica Harper, Susie Banyan arrives from New York to Germany. She's a dancer, an exchange student attending a prestigious dancing school. It's raining like hell. I really like the detail of um, the musical score is playing, but then every now and then it will cut out like when the doors are opening and closing. Did you notice that? Yeah, that was cool. I liked it because it made it feel like the music itself was luring her. Yeah, the the music is part of the world. Yeah. The music's part of the world. Also, too, I think they were trying to do something to set up a scare as well, because then when she steps outside and then the wind 
blows. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like loud and sudden. And it like cuts so to like the gears it. inside the automatic door and like. Yeah. It's cool. It is cool. I love all that rain too, like waiting for the cab and like her wet hair. Interesting thing, I also didn't really think about it in the movie, but saw in my research that she tells the cab driver to take her to Escherstrasse, which means Escher Street, which is a nod to MC Escher, whose famous painting of the staircases that mm-hmm. go upside down and all around and stuff was a big influence on this movie. There is actually a number of Escher pieces in this movie built into the wallpaper, actual Escher designs. Uh, and it was just sort of another way of like foreshadowing that the school has like hidden corridors and not everything is as it seems. I thought that was interesting, but not something I actually took in or noticed yeah. while watching the film. And then, yeah, once she actually gets to the school, like it looks like a fucking palace. I know they built some facades and some some stage work, but I mean, were these real buildings that they, like real architecture that they... I think the they exterior then, I think the exterior of the dance school is real but everything else was all built. So they just made up these interiors. I believe so, yeah. All the interiors built on stages in Rome. Wow. I mean there's some stunning stuff in there. Mhm. I mean big Like there's time. a the the girl who's like running away in the be- in the beginning she goes into this one building where the shot the the way that the hallway splits and the staircase moves looks like a like a face yeah in the interior design it looked like mm-hmm. a monstrous it was crazy yeah production designer was giuseppe bassan fairy tales was like the big influence on argento when crafting this movie he he want he showed his cinematographer uh snow white and the seven dwarfs he wanted to like pull from that color scheme and that vibe mm. and which is interesting because I was always terrified of Snow White. Like it was yeah. the one Disney movie I couldn't watch. It's scary. Because that witch was so damn scary to me, particularly the like hag version of her, you know. Uh, and I remember going on the ride at Disney World and just bawling my fucking eyes out at the witch animatronics. I've actually never fully seen Snow White because it was not something I could handle as a kid. Disney used to have pretty scary stuff. Another fun fact about the fairy tale vibe uh, the script was originally written for 12-year-olds. It was going to be a school of little children. And the producers ultimately deemed that, uh, considering the violence that was in it, that that would probably not go over well with various censors and things like that. And they were like, kids are a nightmare on set. You don't want to be like having to deal with that. So they decided to swap it, but they didn't change the script at all, which at times pops up in the movie where you, they do sort of like, they talk weird to each other at times. Also too, I didn't really notice this, but the doorknobs are all like face height in this movie. Mm. And according to the research, Argento did that on purpose to make them still feel like children. So they have to like reach up for the doorknobs and stuff. Mm. I didn't notice it either, but I would love to go look at that. Has there ever been a horror movie featuring kids that you thought was a good movie? Featuring kids? You mean like focusing purely on them? Yeah, like the either the horror aspect has Pet to do cemetery? with a bunch of children. Pet Cemetery is not about kids, though. But that little boy. Is... Yeah, there's a little. This, yeah, you know, he's about, used as a yeah. thing, about, but it's yeah. focusing on the dad. Yeah, I mean, where there's an ensemble of children. I mean, I do enjoy the miniseries of it. I can't say it's a great movie, but I do enjoy it. And the you know half of that is kids. children of the corn. Ooh, not, a not good though not a, not a great one that's for sure uh, Lord of the Flies I guess it's not really a horror movie but sort of is a horror 
I do like that movie. Very good performances. The Gate. The Gate's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. I like The Gate. Monster Squad is pretty fun, but you're, like, you're getting into like comedy territory yeah. there. Goonies. We all like it. We love Goonies. That's a stretch to call that horror, though. Yeah. I no. wouldn't call it a horror at all. Fun, interesting uh, way that like as she's pulling into the school, we see the first victim of this movie, Pat Hingle. She's mm-hmm. running from the academy. She says something that we don't hear that kind of becomes like the mystery of the movie. But I like how then the movie just kind of, it's like a passes the baton to her and we stop following Jessica Harper for a minute and we follow Pat Hingle. Incredible shot of her driving through the forest, mm-hmm. which is again, over the river and through the woods. You know, it's the black forest. It's Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, Snow White, f- traveling through forest stuff. You, it's all part of that fairy tale vibe. Yeah. She confides in like a roommate who clearly is sort of like not really believing what she's saying. Yeah. And then uh, really, I think a cool intense sequence where she's feeling a presence out the window and she goes up to it and she sees these like two spooky eyes in Ugh. the trees. Yeah. I really like the repeated eyeballs in the dark. That happens a few times in the movie and it's always creepy looking. I feel like that's just popping up in lots of horror movies again recently. Eyeballs in the dark? Yes. It was in the Boogeyman movie. It was in that movie we just watched. It was in Boogeyman? Yes. Yeah, she looks the... into the closet and just the two eyes. Oh, that 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 that, um, that image that of trope of like I think I see two eyes and then you turn on the lights and it's like two light bulbs sitting there. Yeah. That's like the thing that's been popping up in a lot of movies. In a lot of movies recently. We've done the trope. We've done that. We did it. I mean, it's a good it's a good trope. And then this gnarly hairy wolf arm looks like like a wolf man's <laughs> arm comes out and grabs her and you're going like what the fuck is that thing and i love how that will ultimately sort of reveal itself by yeah. the end of the movie the glass where, where it's like smashing her face against the glass that was Ugh, pretty that was yeah. so creepy which Intense. is kind of a motif it happens a couple times in this movie she gets her head pushed through the glass in the window by the hairy arm and then later on when it finally corners her and starts stabbing her, it pushes her head through the stained glass mm-hmm. in the ceiling. And then later on in the movie, I want to say it's maybe the character of Sarah also gets her head shoved through some glass at one point, too. And at this point, if you didn't know it was a witch movie, I guess, necessarily, it feels like a slasher movie. It yes. feels like there's like a serial killer Somebody's on the loose. serial killing stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's like hard to say because we all know going into it that it's a witch movie. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if it was a little bit more of a twist back in 1977 where it's like, ooh. And yeah, pretty spectacular. It's very elaborate, her kill. Literally stabs her a bunch of times, including in the heart. Like you see an exposed heart that gets stabbed, pushes her head through stained glass window, and then she falls and hangs herself on like wraps herself up in like electrical wire or something. I thought it was rope. It's like a wire that's like you know, uh, wire stapled to the wall. Oh yeah, on the inside of the building. Yeah, and then there's a. Interesting reveal, too, that her roommate was standing at the bottom and is, like, impaled on all the glass and, like, mm-hmm. shit that fell down. So it's two murders in one. I want to say that second one is an accident. <laughs> Not intending on getting her. The witches are like, oh, man, sorry about that one. I mean, there is a little bit of that. Oops. In the remake, there's a lot of, like, oh, we fucked up. Like, we got to <laughs> fix this shit, you know? I kind of wish there was a little bit more of that yeah. in this one. But great final shot of that opening sequence where it, like, starts in close and then pans out to, like, a bird's eye of this incredible looking floor very cool with the blood and all the stained glass and the bodies it's just like it's gorgeous it's it's uh it's gruesome but it's very striking and beautiful 
This movie was the last movie, one of the last movies to be shot on three-strip technicolored film processing, which is the same method that The Wizard of Oz and a number of other really bold technicolor movies were used. But even at this time in 1977 was uh, antiquated. Nobody was making movies that way anymore. But Argento wanted to be able to control the colors in the processing Mm. And really bring out the the greens and the reds and the blues and the yellows. That makes sense. I can see all that. So he had them shoot on, um, uh, literally, I think it was like the last camera in Germany that was able to do it. And it was um, this the it was the final film of this particular lab. And then they shut down, and nobody uh, has really done it since. That's why he has such a vivid, striking colors in this thing. You know, this movie doesn't have a straightforward plot, so there's no reason to go beat for beat for beat. But basically, there's suspicion of why Pat Hingle is not there. Susie Banyan, our lead character, is there to essentially replace her. There's a few moments of practicing dance, but they are very short-lived. You don't really get to see a lot of dance. Although I will say the scenes are shot beautifully. They look cool. If there was a dance number, it would probably look awesome. We get like a little sequence where we get to meet all the teachers. Joan Bennett plays Madame Blanc. Classic Hollywood icon, Joan Bennett. Alita Valley plays Mrs. Tanner. They're kind of like the two heads of this place. Madame Blanc is a little bit more friendly, whereas Miss Tanner kind of has like a Gestapo vibe to me. She honestly looks a little bit like Nurse Ratchet. She's got this mm-hmm. sort of um, Dracula hairstyle that makes her kind of creepy. And she's in like a long black suit dress. And she's so mean too. When yes. the guy, the butler is like walking down the stairs, like it's okay, you could say oh my he's God. ugly. Pavlos. Oh. That's so bad for him. They're like, this is Pavlos. He's really ugly, isn't he? Don't worry, you can acknowledge it. She's like, he just got some new teeth. Oh, I love Pavlos. I was really tempted to say that Corey Clifford is the Pavlos. You mother fucker. <laughs> What's really like funny too is that she says like he's Romanian, he can't understand yes. what we're mm-hmm. saying, but he's so yeah. clearly upset. He yeah. just looks so <laughs> angry when she says he's ugly. He's like chief. He's like chief. He yeah. Uh, yeah. everyone thinks he can't talk or mm-hmm. can't hear, but he can't. Yeah. Yeah, this sequence him. does what a trope that I actually really like in horror movies, and it's the trope of when you're getting introduced to everybody in the movie and then you get the weird figures that sort of like walk by in the background. So Pavlos is one of them. The people that when you see and you know you're watching a horror movie, you go, okay, that guy back there is going to return and do something creepy. So it's like, you know, Pavlos is going to do something weird in this movie. (laughs) There's Albert, the freaky little boy that also gets introduced here. He's freaking creepy. I love it. Setting you up for like the people you're in store for. Also got to say, I loved all the girls in the dance troupe. I thought they were very fun for a movie that doesn't really do a lot with characters. I was surprisingly like pretty engaged by the group of women. I thought they all had distinct personalities. They felt alive in a way that even Jessica Harper doesn't necessarily feel. Mm-mm. Like Jessica Harper really feels like a director's puppet. You know, she's beautiful. She's good to look at and she's getting the job done, but she's kind of just standing and delivering yeah. for a lot of this stuff. Whereas like, Olga. Olga is my favorite. Olga was so fun to me. I wish there was more of her in the movie. She's the one who is like her roommate. And there's like that great shot of her like painting her nails and it like pulls out and she's kind of spunky. She has kind of like a beef with um, Sarah and she's like, I once read that names which begin with the letter S are the names of snakes. Sarah cannot handle being... 
made oh, fun of it all. Sarah she flips every time. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the uh, the unspoken person in the Dario Argento creative team is his wife, Daria Nicolotti. She was an actress. He casted her in his previous film, Deep Red. Fell in love, got married, had their baby, Asia Argento. And it was actually Daria Nicolodi who came up with the idea of the School of Witches because her grandmother claimed to be a witch. And so all growing up, her grandmother had told her stories about a school that she had gone to that did occult things and had given her sort of a background of witchcraft mythology. Mm. And so... She had sort of conjured this story of a dance school about witches, and she told Dario Argento about it, and he was like, I love it. Let's write it together. So they wrote script together for it, and um, fortunately, she was under the impression that she was going to play the lead. Yikes. And I've seen conflicting things, that it was the financers who Uh, said, uh. no, we need an American... I've seen other things that said Argento sort of did it to her. Either way, by the end of this process, they're divorced. They're divorced. Hmm. They continue. Something to remember. (laughs) Something to remember. It sounds like (laughs) Black They did continue working together. Not saying it's not. Not saying it's not. (laughs) Uh, They did continue working together. She shows up in a lot of his movies after this, Mm -hmm. but it did hurt their relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, Understandably so. And and he, I think, too, wasn't great at giving her credit. She is credited as co-screenwriting the film with him. But, um, yeah, it seemed like it was not the best situation for her. She maybe got a little bit of the shit end of the stick. Tale as old as time. She also came up with the title, too. She was the one who was reading the book. She came up with the title and she came up with The Witches. Yeah. Hello, this is her movie. There's a book called Suspiria de Profundis which means um, sigh from the depths. And it's about witchcraft. She was reading it for research while they were making the movie, and apparently she put her hand over the title and covered up the words De Profundus so that Justice Piri was showing. And she walked over to Dario and she said, that should be the title. And he was like, I love it. I do think it's a great movie title. It's incredible. It's awesome. Such a cool and I word. I like the title sequence. Me too. I like the font. The font is incredible. The font is really cool. You should see the font in the trailer because it's made out of beating organs and it's like pulsing and swinging. It looks really cool. The, honestly, that trailer that I played is awesome. People should go look it up because it's, again, mostly like a teaser trailer with footage shot for the trailer. So it's the back of a woman's head. She's brushing her hair and then slowly turns around to reveal that it's a skeleton with a wig and a, a purple turtleneck on. Looks fucking great. And then cut to the title. Suspiria. Let's talk about Mark. Mark is one of the few male people who work at the dance school. Mm. He also, I think, is another one of the dancers, too. He seems to have a crush on Susie. This is the guy who's got the tightest pants that we've ever seen in the world. And there <laughs> were some hints that Mark may not be a man in the movie. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm now struggling to think of what they were because I didn't write them down, but I thought in the movie, I thought, oh, that's a hint that he's not a guy. Like there was some sort of reference made that he wasn't actually a guy, which then I started to think, is that the reason why they gave him the tightest pants in the world that is giving him a camel toe? Is it trying to imply that he doesn't have genitalia? 
that he's like passing as a man, but he's actually like one of the female witches. Mm. You've seen this, or you no? Just this is this? totally one of Jack's crackpot theories. This is not something that I've seen anybody speak about. So I could be way off here, but it's huh. not just in one scene. Multiple scenes. He has different pairs of pants on. Yes, his that pants are, are absurdly tight from below. It's so distracting. <laughs> did you notice these pants, Justin, when you were watching them? I did not. Are notice. you serious? I, I was captivated. <laughs> I was captivated by his performance. Maybe because you were watching on a computer screen, but on a big ass TV, yeah. it was shocking I'm to me. I'm so mad. I didn't write down the details that I saw. I'd have to go rewatch the movie to even remember. Yeah, because this well, crackpot there's a, there's idea. There's the scene after the maggots when they all move to the uh, makeshift bedroom and they're yeah. on the mattress and he does the creepy wave where his hand goes down. Yes, okay. And one of them's like, oh, I think he likes you. I think that is part of, that is one of the things, whereas I think he's a plant. He He's, because ultimately yeah, the big reveal is that they're sort of luring Susie into this important role there's a there's a mother marcos character that we have not seen that doesn't come out sort of creeping around the periphery of the story they're indoctrinating Susie into to become like marcos's uh either like somebody that marcos is going to eat or consume or take her body in some way and so you end up, they're giving her meals, they're giving her wine, the doctor's coming in. She's getting sick and having hallucinations and stuff. They're, they're using witchcraft to sort of draw her in. Part of my theory, I think, was that um, they are using a romance, a sort of faux romance, to also draw her in, and that in actuality, Mark is a witch pretending to be a boy that has a crush on her. Mm. And that, that scene that you're talking about was part of it. He also has a particularly heavily made up face, like it's very white with makeup in a way that feels like it's drawing attention to it. I could buy that. That's not a cr- that's not a crackpot theory. <laughs> now that you've explained it out reasonable. a little bit more. It that just, magazine yeah. was disgusting. Yeah, yeah, she's combing her hair. Ugh. Looking in the mirror, and you see, I, at first I was like, is that a mistake? Did something just fall off the ceiling and, and land in her hair? But then the camera draws closer. Ugh, and she notices it. So disturbing. She pulls the comb out of her hair and it's filled with real maggots <sighs> that are falling from the ceiling onto her head. Which we've told the story already on the Fear and Loathing podcast about how we woke up this year <sighs> to a trash can filled with hundreds of maggots. And folks, let me tell you, you don't want to see these things in real life. You don't want them in your home. Uh-uh. You don't want them anywhere near uh-uh. you. They are the most revolting creatures i've worked Mm. on set with maggots before and there was a i will never forget there was a maggot handler that was this man's job is that he came to set it was when i did an episode of american horror story and it was supposed to be a crock pot full of maggots and he had to like come on and it was like a really big deal when the maggots were coming on to set it was like maggots on set maggots on set (laughs) and then because they cannot be not even a one can get hurt and so it was like really and like the way that it was like the pot had to fall or something like that and each maggot would have to be like they'd have to like pause everybody couldn't move and you'd have to like scoop up each little maggot like make sure they're all okay because you'll get in really big trouble by i don't know who but the humane society 
They're looking out for the maggots too. I I'm pretty sure hundreds of maggots died in the making of. Oh, this Oh, I film. watched it on film. <laughs> you could see them getting squished. <laughs> Can you imagine? What's your job? Oh, I'm a maggot handler. That just means that his job in his house, he probably has thousands well, of maggots. I'm not going to assume cages, he brings his work home with him. in cages. He probably sure, works but... at some sort of a zoo. Or <gasps> but you know, nobody's eating lunch with that guy. He's Hell sitting no. all by himself at the lunch table. Unless there's like somebody in prosthetics that looks really gross. You know, I, I just really don't understand like all those Trump supporters who are wearing those maggot hats. <laughs> like it just, it doesn't make sense yeah. to me. Like why would they want to call themselves maggots? Great question. <laughs> and that's the other gross thing. It's revealed that there's like all this rotted food in the attic. What was that for? Was there a significance to all the rotted food? I think just to get the maggots out. It, I don't know. She said they ordered something and it was from a reliable shipping supplier. Yeah. It has to have but some But it's like, what's the twist? Yeah. Is it for their rituals or something? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I, get, I know why now. I know why this happened. So they all end up having to go sleep in the gym. Because of the maggots basically dropped in all of their dorm rooms, mm -hmm. and they've put up all these sheets, and then Sarah, who has befriended Susie, hears snoring coming from behind one of the sheets, yeah, and yeah, she yeah, yeah. recognizes the sound of the snoring as being the snores of the directress, who is somebody that she's never seen before, basically the leader of this dance academy, but she knows because of a previous experience where she was like rooming with, I think, Pat Hingle and heard the snores and was told that the directors was around. So I think the reason is it's all a ruse to get them out of the, to get them to sleep in the gym. I think they purposefully put the rotted food in the attic, purposefully dropped these maggots down onto the girls in order to get them out of their room so that the Mother Marcos character could sniff out who she wants. Oh, okay. And she's basically chose choosing or, you know, snoozing. Which I think that's the sigh too. Like the 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 snores, the heavy breathing of the of the directress to me is like the suspiria. It's the sighs that the movie is referring to. You're gonna hear it. If you hear those snores, do you snore, Justin? Are you a snore? Daddy? No, but I also wear a breathe right strip when I sleep, so that could be helpful. Do you right. tape your mouth when you sleep? Hostage tape? No. I want to start doing no. it. I'd like to try it just to see, even Me though too. it feels fucking dumb. I'm going to order some. The breathe right strips alone are a night and day difference. I almost can't sleep without them now. Oh. Weirdly, I don't snore at night, but I snore during naps. Yeah, that's true. Corey's told me that. Mm-hmm. I guess it's lucky for her. I don't snore, but I scream every five seconds. Yes. Yeah, That's Jack normal. too. Uh, I like the sequence where Daniel dies. Basically, they they accuse his dog of biting little Albert, that f little fucking freak. What's up with Albert's wardrobe? Why is he dressed like a little Pennywise the Clown? Yeah, he's it's creepy. It's I really think, creepy. I think just like to be scary. Napoleon. Yeah. Daniel is the blind piano player. His seeing eye dog apparently bites Albert, but we don't see it. So we I'm pretty sure it's not true. I know. I felt bad for him. They basically say, Hey, your dog bit Albert, and he's like, No, he didn't. They get into this fight and they, they don't it. just say, Hey, hey, your dog bit Albert. They're so <laughs> mean. She's Extremely cruel mean. to him. She's cruel to him. Basically fires him. On the way home, Daniel's walking through this courtyard. Kind of feels like the scene in The Lost Boys where it's like the camera is like point of view of like a flying witch and it like swings down and you see these cool like shadows 
on the wall that look like witches on brooms, mm-hmm. like on broomsticks. It's really cool looking, but it, it's clearly kind of like um, gobos, you know, spinning around, but it looks great. Here's a question I have. Hit it. I can't remember who, but I did notice that in a lot of scenes, somebody, one of the witches, one of the, somebody who was like about to do something bad or something that something was about to happen to them would be holding something red, like a red scarf or like, like red is like a big theme. Yeah. And I (laughs) thought when I was a child, after watching the sixth sense, Mm -hmm. like in the behind the scenes, M night Shyamalan talks about how before anything any person who's about to get haunted by a ghost or something, you will see the color red. Like they'll be wearing it or it'll be a right. red door mm-hmm. or something like that. And I always thought, and I just came up with that. And I was like, that man is a fucking genius. But is that like a horror movie? Is the color red like a big horror movie trope? Well, in cinema, it is, honestly. I mean, it's, it is. it's there's like color theory in, in movies. But um, it's like red to signal that something scary is about to happen is that like in a lot of horror movies well i don't not specifically in the way you're talking about Mm -hmm. i mean it's been i just noticed that there was little bits obviously there were the red rooms and stuff in this movie too but there would be like blue it would be like almost all blue but then there would be somebody holding like a little red scarf or something like that and then that would be the person who something happened to i think it's like it's probably you tends to it could be a lot of things but it tends to be death or morbid yeah. mm-hmm. or something like that. Like think the the little girl in Schindler's List with the mm-hmm. red coat. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, obviously he's putting color to make it pop so it stands out, but he chose red for a reason. Red yeah, I wouldn't reason. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if it was intentional to sort of signal something. I mean, if you're going to make a movie that's all aesthetic and all visuals, then you're probably thinking deeply about what these It just made me are. laugh in my head because I truly remember hearing that about Sixth Sense and being like, M. Night Shyamalan's a fucking genius. I mean, the way he utilizes For sure, for sure. But I thought he came up with that. And now, as an adult, I'm realizing. Argento did it first. Yeah. And yeah, the witches end up possessing Daniel's seeing eye dog to bite him in throat. That's a bummer. I know. Again, sad. But hey, at least the dog survived. That's true. So yeah, Sarah starts to suspect some shit is happening. She starts getting followed by a creepy killer. I'm pretty sure this is Pavlos. Sets up that Pavlos really likes her little, uh, she's got like this lighter with like a little clock on it. Mm-hmm. Pavlos picks it up and looks at it and she's like, Pavlos really likes your, your whatever, your clock. And then later on in the movie after Sarah dies, Pavlos is like holding it. And so I'm pretty sure this is Pavlos who does this, but she's followed by an unseen killer with black gloves. This is very jallo. Chases her around the room. I do think the sequence is pretty tense when it's she locks stressful. she locks herself into this room and then he sticks this switchblade through the crack of the door and is like trying to unlock the door. Her trying to climb out of that window is one of the most stressful scenes in a movie. And I've it's seen really in a while. It's really creepy because he's not like frantically trying to unlock the door. It's like very sort of slow and methodical. It's just like. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's like stacking up suitcases to try to get to this window to escape. She finally gets up into Ugh. it. Hops through the window, lands on a box, stands up, gets her feet planted, and then jumps, <laughs> and then the camera tilts down <laughs> and reveals that the floor is covered in barbed wire. And she just jumps Huge right on into rolls it. of barbed wire. Huge. And she rides so around. Funny. It is really we both cackled when it when it revealed that. And apparently these were real. It was real barbed wire that they had just cut the barbs off of. 
I don't know if I even necessarily believe that because uh, it doesn't even look like real no, barbed wire no. with barbs cut off. That's also too dangerous. Yeah. Well, according to the actress, she said she really did get scraped up pretty badly doing. They only did one take of it because she was like, "Ugh, the idea of that it just made me." She shiver. came out with all these like scrapes and cuts all over her from from the wires themselves. It looks pretty yeah. silly. It's not thick enough to be real barbed wire. It's too honestly thin. the one point in the movie when I was like. This sucks, you know. <laughs> Everything else I liked. Like I was on board with all the rest of the elaborate kills and stuff. Nothing about the movie was feeling too stupid. This moment felt stupid. Yeah. And he ends up popping in there and slitting her throat. Although I will say the throat slit looked pretty good. Uh Susie ends up going to find this doctor that was working with Pat. And this doctor is played by Udo Kier, who I did not know was going to be in this movie. I d- totally forgot that he was in it. Didn't notice his name in the credits. I was like, hey. Couldn't care less. <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought, though, that Udo Kier kind of looks like your dad. Do you see that? Uh, I'm not talking about this version of Udo Kier, but like sort of his his current yeah. older times. Yeah, I could see that. S- striking blue eyes. Spooky. People say Corey has spooky eyes. People or Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> Some people say you have... Chucky, Chucky eyes. Chucky eyes. Yeah. I'll switch it and say that you have Udo Kier's eyes. Udo Kier's eyes. <laughs> Were you trying to do the Billy Eilish? She's song? got Udo Kier's <laughs> eyes. Is that what you're trying to do? No, I think he was trying to do no, Ocean Eyes. To do the the Peter oh. Peter Gabriel song. In or, your eyes. Uh, in your oh. eyes. Yeah. Udo's <laughs> eyes. <laughs> <laughs> They're blue and scary. Udo's eyes. Susie gets attacked by a bat at one point. That bat is terrifying. Creepy. It doesn't look real, but it was creepy. I was like, girl, punch that fucking bat out. It's like one of those sequences that starts out kind of goofy because the bat's like clearly a doll, but then it chases her for long enough that I did start to kind of get scared. (laughs) Also when the bat's on the floor and just like trying to like wiggle over to her. And then it goes bat, the camera goes behind the bat on the floor. (laughs) They spend so much time on that bat. It's hilarious. We're basically in the last part of the movie here. She's starting to investigate she finds that there's sort of a dead end, but she knows that there's more to go through. And she's the whole movie, she's like, when I saw Pat Hingle running outside, she screamed something. And she's sort of slowly putting it together. She eventually realizes she says there's a secret. And so by the time she gets to this point, she finally, there's like this mural on the wall that has like these flowers. And she realizes that the words that Pat Hingle says is, the secret, there's someone behind the door, three irises. Turn the blue one. <laughs> uh, that you can that you can suddenly remember I know. all of that I entire know. complicated sentence. This is one of those movies that does not work at all when you talk about it. I'm I'm realizing, but folks, I agree. it works. Yeah. That's the beauty of Argento. He makes it work in its in the symphony of cinema that he's creating. Yeah. It's got to hit you on an emotional the level. You got to be watching of it. cinema. That's beautiful. Thanks. So she realizes she looks at one of these flowers on the wall. The three irises. One of them is blue. She goes over. She's able to turn it. It opens up this sort of hidden passageway. Leads her down this long hallway. Again, all this stuff looks fucking great. Folks, you just have to imagine the most insane sets you've mm-hmm. ever seen. 
It's why this movie works. It's beautiful. She's walking down this hallway and she sees at the end of the hallway, Madame Blanc and Miss Tanner and all the other staff of the place. They're all sort of huddled doing this weird ceremony where they're like, oh, or whatever. Um, She ends up finding the body of Sarah, which has been sort of like crucified and also has like pins stuck in her eyes. It looks Mm -hmm. like they've been doing some sort of ritual on her. And then she starts hearing snoring a little honk shoe honk shoe which is creepy creepy sound effect to hear and i like the way the new suspiria utilizes the snoring too Mm -hmm. did you notice that Mm -hmm. with uh with dakota johnson's mother pretty spooky she goes into this room there's a bed with like a, a canopy you can see this sleeping woman snoring sleeping good Sleeping good. Although, needs a CPAP. Needs a Breathe Right strip. Cinema Possessed, sponsored by Breathe Right. The little creepy woman wakes up. Who is it? Who's there? (laughs) I've been expecting you. The American girl. I knew you'd come. You want to kill me? You want to kill Elena Marcus? <laughs> she disappears from the bed, and Susie doesn't know where she's at, and there's this door at the other end of the room. I love this. This is creepy. Music is working. Mm-hmm. Goblin's mm-hmm. working overtime here. Uh, she's walking towards this door. Something's behind it. Susie's holding, like, this hairpin as, like, a knife, basically. And you hear from behind the door, Now death is coming for you. Now death is coming for you. Hell is behind that door. You're going to meet death now. The living dead. And then the door opens up and it's fucking Sarah, her reanimated corpse with the pins in her eyes coming at her. But y'all, it's a fucking trick. It is. And Susie realizes it's a fucking trick. Because she turns to the bed, which seems to have nobody in it. But then this cool effect happens where every time it lightnings outside, it like illuminates the side of an invisible figure sitting on the bed. I think it's a really cool, clever idea, personally. It looks 80s, I mean 70s. It looks a little cheesy because they're doing it with like, they're basically drawing on like a reflection onto the film. But I fucking love it. Looks cooler than any CG version of it, I'll tell you that for sure. And she realizes that Helena Marcos is still on the bed. She's just invisible. And the lightning is like lighting her up. So she runs over, she stabs her, reveals her, and she looks fucking scary. Scary. She looks kind of like the dumpster hag in Mulholland Drive. Mm -hmm. She's got like sores and boils all over her faces. Apparently, too, this woman who plays Mother Marcos was a 90-year-old ex-prostitute that Argento discovered on the streets of Rome. Wow. Not an actress. He just saw her and he was like, Oh, I'm, I'm sure he discovered her on the streets and not in uh, His boudoir. Nighttime. In the sheets. I'm sure that wasn't one of the reasons why his wife left him. <laughs> I want to put you in my movie. Yeah, his wife can't get a part in the movie. But, but this his 90-year-old, 90-year-old ex-prostitute that you saw on the street. Stabs her a couple times. She bleeds out onto the bed screaming. If you kill the head of a coven, the whole thing loses its power. Yeah, everybody starts That's to- what Udo Kier said. Mm-hmm. Everybody starts to kind of like fall down and die. The whole place starts to crumble. Looks great. Walls are cracking. Shit's falling. Doors are exploding. 
The place is setting on fire. She ends up making it out. I like this last shot of her. She's like stumbling out into the rain. She's escaped it. She's got this sort of demented laugh going on. She gets out unscathed, which is also a fairy tale thing. Oftentimes in fairy tales, they, they do have uh, happy endings where you, where you, you know, you cut open the big bad wolf, you kill the witch. You walk away smiling. You walk away smiling, laughing in the rain. <laughs> Cool. Don't you forget <laughs> yeah. it. It may as well. It does like end on like a zoom in on the window with the flames coming out the window and you hear like all the witches screaming inside. And then it just like I do goblin score. The, the, the credits come up. I love the first thing you see is you have been watching Suspiria. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And the, you should. the goblin score is like it's like pretty rocking at that point too. It sends you out on a high note. If you were in the theater, yeah. I would love to go see this movie in the theater. Seeing it with an audience and seeing it on the big screen would be fun. And that's the end of Suspiria. <laughs> 1977. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll give thoughts. Final thoughts. Final thoughts on Suspiria. It's the final thought. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking Suspiria. Suspiria. Witch. 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 1977. What a year. Star Wars. Pretty sure. Sorcerer. Big year. Changed. Changed the game of Hollywood. Meanwhile, Argento's over there in Italy being like, what? What's going on? Come again. Come again now. I <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> All right. Corey, mm-hmm. I'm going to start with you. Final thoughts on Suspiria. I didn't know what to expect, and I really had a good time with this movie. This is some, a movie I'd be like, this is my favorite movie. No. Um, I would say I probably, pref- I definitely prefer the remake, um, but I do think the pairing of them is awesome. Yeah. And if you're looking for like a spooky good time, I would say do that. This the the original is not scary in the way that the remake is actually like horror movie scary. This is exactly what we've been saying is a tone poem in a lot of ways. It's beautiful mm-hmm. looking. I had a really fun time. Again, the 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 runtime of this movie is what makes Somebody who is not necessarily like 
a cinemaphile or like a or cinephile yeah. or a huge horror movie buff like i think they would still have a good time with this movie because it's not too long like you get in you get out and it goes by in a pretty good yes clip. Exactly. like it doesn't belabor itself too it much it doesn't and each um moment that happens is fun like there is something fun happening in each scene um so yeah i i was surprised how much i really i really liked this movie i guess i don't have a ton else to say but i recommend it hell yeah justin how about you well, I'm going to put on a Breathe Right strip for this. Oh, yeah. You, wow. You're hearing it here. I also, you know, I want to know, do I sound different okay. for the Breathe Right strip? <laughs> okay. So I'm going to put it on. You listen to the cadence of my voice. Do I go from less nasally to a little clear? Can you tell that the Breathe Right is working? Okay. Okay. Or do I sound exactly Tell the us same? when you feel the difference. Uh, immediately. Immediately? All right. Hold on. I'm putting it on now. You I got I got to clamp my nose shut to get it to stick. Okay. So like Usually. you know how you used to kind of be a little bit addicted to those spray that clear out yeah. your nostrils? <laughs> Is Nasal it giving right, you right. that same type of feeling? No, that was a feeling like I did a line of cocaine. <laughs> this is more like I can just breathe a little better. Got it, got it. <laughs> uh, all right, you're gonna cut out all this dead air because gotta hold it. Oh, I'm no, this it all dead in. air is pure comedy gold. The they love it. They love dead air. Got to make sure you get a good seal. So you got to uh-huh. just clamp it, clamp it tight to your nose. Good seal. Right, so great. you're talking about like kiss from a rose, or uh, <laughs> we're never gonna survive. That's probably my favorite seal. Don't Man, laugh. I listened to kiss from the kiss from a rose the other day, and it is a banger. Oh, a banger. yeah, so good. That, uh, we have to remember that more for like when you're at karaoke. I feel like that song gets forgotten about. Can't forget and it. And it's Dude, such a banger. That would slay at karaoke. Slay. And the Batman, would... the entire Batman Forever soundtrack is a banger. It goes on the list. All right. Can you, t- the, the, the Breathe Right strip is applied. Is there any Yeah. I kind of feel like I do, but yeah. I don't know if it's just like psychosomatic, but I do but feel like I hear it. it. Yeah. It's almost like. Well, Jack, t- yeah. just take some audio clips from before and put it side by side sure. with this. So. This is with the Breathe Right yeah. strip. Uh-huh. Now take them to the audio without the Breathe Right <laughs> and strip. And now, folks, you're going to hear Justin before the Breathe Right strip. Hey, guys, it's me, Justin. <laughs> no, that's Corey. <laughs> me, Justin. I'm going to put on my Breathe Right strip now. I think I can hear it. Putting it on. Breathe Right, if you're listening and you want to sponsor us. Putting it on. It's on the table for us. But hit us with your thoughts. J-Dog. Yeah, now that you're free and clear and under control. Breathe right. Breathe S right. Mm. <laughs> Keep going. Army of Darkness, yeah, Army, Army of Darkness reference, mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so like uh, Corey concluded where she, the part where she said, I don't really have much else to say. Uh, I <laughs> echo that. I think it's a great movie. <laughs> there isn't much to say <laughs> other than that. There's yeah. not a lot of depth. Not a lot of depth to unpack. I'm a big. I, there's there's two Sargentos in this world. I like Dario Sargento and Sargento Cheese, and you know the two of them together are just a great combination. Wow, that's a really good pairing for this movie. Yeah, yeah. wine and uh, cheese and blood, which is in blood. <laughs> but yeah, I think I I I think Suspiria is a good place to start if you've never watched uh, an Argento movie before. 
or an Italian giallo movie. I think some of the other Italian giallo movies are a little challenging, can be challenging to watch, especially for the first time. They can, they're not always fun. They can be a little boring. They can drag. They can drag a little bit, but uh, Suspiria zips, flies by. And it's if you are a person who is horror curious and you are scared by some of the movies that we've talked about on this channel, I know there's some people who don't want to watch some of the shit we watch. I feel like Suspiria is not that bad. It's not that scary. No. There is there's some stuff at the end. There's some I intense gore the, for sure. Yeah. But it's exa- it's exaggerated in a way that like I think you can sort of disbelief. Yeah. You can you can the, suspend your disbelief the, a little. The style the, the, the style makes it feel a little bit more palatable. Yeah, I think. exactly. Um, yeah, and I I resent that I was not able to go through the Synapse 3 DVD or 3 disc collection and really unpack the physical media of it all. But I hope one day to be able to go through and maybe talk about it on a future episode. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I echo all that. As you heard, I was shocked to say how much I love this movie. I'm going to revisit it. I'll probably revisit it in in the coming Halloweens. I could see myself going and getting this on physical media. It's just, it feels kind of important to me in the grand scheme of horror cinema and world cinema. Uh, I don't have any Argento in my collection. I've come around on this movie and I do want it in my collection. And so I have nothing to give away, but I do think at some point, probably soon, I'm going to go investigate what the, what the most exciting edition of this movie would be to get currently. Uh, and, and I'm probably going to get it. It looks like um, cool. for 35 bucks, they're selling uh, another Synapse Films uh, 4K Ultra HD uh, collection. And the cover is pretty sick. It's mm. the girl from the beginning who is hung. Hingle? Pat? Looks cool. Wow, the still images look surreal. It looks like it's from a modern film. Hey, that maybe that's the version I'll get then. A new 4K restoration of the original uncut, uncensored Italian 35mm camera negative exclusively done by Synapse Films with color correction supervised and approved by Suspiria Director of Photography Luciano Tavoli. Luciano Tavoli. Never really made a movie that looked quite like this before or since. He was uh, Michelangelo Antonioni's cinematographer. Uh, and, and, and those movies are all very... Grounded, almost documentary-like. So it's interesting that he was able to achieve something like this that set such a standard for for what a giallo would look like, could look like, should look like, uh, and has been copied and uh, endlessly ever since. It's like, bam, good on the guy. Well, now that we've said everything there is to say about Suspiria, what do you say we play? Look at these films, elaborate kills and frights, and vivid colored lights. Yeah, they were all jellos. Wow. That's right, folks. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's the Jello's quiz. Did you like that? Because Jello does mean yellow. Yeah, that's pretty good. How long have you been like when when that hit you? Were you like, oh my god, this is yeah. too good? It hit me last night, and I was like, damn it, I got to make a song for the fucking quiz now too. <laughs> <laughs> my brain yeah, never stops to. my brain never stops you could, you could relax you could spend time with Corey yeah, you yeah. could walk your nope. dog lock myself in a room call your call your dad check on it see how he's doing okay it's multiple choice you must choose the correct title based okay. off of my description I'm not gonna know a single one all of the choices are real titles of Jallo films but you have to choose the right one based off the description of the film. Question number one. I'm starting with a relatively easy one because I'm pretty sure... Oh, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Here we go. Question number one. A troupe of stage actors rehearsing for a play are locked in the theater with a killer wearing an owl Justin, mask. Justin, stage fright. Stage <gasps> fright. I knew that's the only one I would have Ding, known. ding, ding. Wow. Just so people can hear these titles, I'll read you the multiple choice. Or I want to remind people, too, that these are all real titles. A, The Killer Reserved Nine Seats. <laughs> B, Clap, You're Dead. <laughs> and that's about the STD. <laughs> C, The Cry of the Owl. Or D, Stage Fright, oh. 1987. Have you seen all those? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Seen Stage Fright. Haven't seen clap, any of the other ones. you're dead. No, I haven't seen Clap. Stage Fright, cool sequences. I love the guy at the owl head. A lot of boring stuff. Clap. That's exactly what Justin was talking about. Clap, you're dead. Was that the Eric Clapton documentary? <laughs> okay, question number two. A cleaver-wielding bridal designer murders various young brides-to-be in an attempt to unlock repressed childhood trauma. Is it A, a black veil for Lisa? B, blood and black lace? C, hatchet for the honeymoon? Or D, date for a murder? Date for a murder? I'm going to guess C, hatchet for a honeymoon. Ding, ding, ding! 1970, wow. hatchet for a honeymoon. That's a great title. I, th I like that premise. Cleaver-wielding bridal designer murders various brides-to-be? What a great premise. Are these all easily, did you did you find in your research, like are these streamable or are they? Might be. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> I didn't notice. So no research. He oh, I mean, know. I researched these <laughs> movies. Kidding. I didn't research whether they were streamable. Just kidding. I think they're all available on physical media in various forms. All right. Justin's ahead. Two to zip. Question number three. An American journalist in Prague is found dead and sent to the morgue, only he's still alive and paralyzed inside his own body. Oh, a nightmare. Is it A, the exquisite cadaver? B, short night of glass dolls? C, the dead are alive? Or D, all deceased except the dead? A, what was A? The exquisite cadaver? <laughs> I just asked if it was A. I didn't say it <laughs> that was. was. Your guess. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with C. Yeah, that's the other one. The I dead thought. are alive? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, D? All deceased except the dead? <laughs> it was B, Short Night of Glass Dolls. That one is was so far-fetched. I was like, yeah. maybe it's this, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, same. Yeah. 
Cool title, Short Night of Glass Dolls. It makes me want to watch the movie to understand what the fuck yeah, that's about. Yeah, why? Yeah, I want to know why. <laughs> but also, I like that premise. A guy, is, think they think he's dead, but he's just paralyzed inside his own body. It makes you realize you can name a movie whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah, Suspiria just means the word yellow. That doesn't mean No, no, no. Jallo means yellow. Suspiria oh, oh, means oh. sigh. Yeah, I forget. Again, it's just a cool word. Should be called snore. Not because it's boring, though. Because the witch snores. Okay. We got it. Nobody got any points on that one. So Justin's still in the lead, too. Question number four. A detective investigates the case of a motorcycle riding serial killer murdering girls connected to an underage prostitution ring. Mm. Is it A, what have they done to your daughters? B, so sweet, so dead. <laughs> C Prostitution Or D The flower with petals of steel wow. What have they done to your daughters? Ding 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 1974 What have they done to your daughters? It's a good title Cool, cool poster too time. It's a motorcycle helmet with a reflection of a screaming girl And he's holding up a cleaver Wow Yeah it looks awesome And there's a motorcycle involved too Pretty sweet All right Corey has one point on the board. Question number five. A big city detective is taunted with phone calls by a quacking Donald Duck Justin, voice serial killer. New York Ripper. Ding, ding, ding. Justin gets the point. Tricky titles were going to be A, don't torture a duckling. B, the police are blundering in the dark. Or D, a muck. But Those yes, are all C. real. Those are all real. All real. That was See the New York Ripper 1982, which I have seen, and it is also boring, but has cool stuff with Donald Duck on the phone. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That, that's what I, when I think of an Italian giallo that's like famous and well mm -hmm. regarded, that one comes to mind as pretty boring. Yeah, that one's Lucio Fulci. If you want to get Lucio Fulci stuff, I would highly recommend Zombie 2. Or just zombie, depending on the copy that you find. It's the same movie, but sometimes it's labeled zombie, and sometimes it's labeled zombie too. And the movie has a sequence where a zombie fights a shark underwater. And that is rad to see, folks. Question number six. A police officer uses optography to generate an image of the last thing a victim saw before death in order to catch their killer. The image is the title of the film. Is it A, who saw her die? B, four flies on gray velvet. C, eyes behind the wall. D, your vice is a locked room, and only I have the key. Justin B. Four flies on gray velvet, 1972. I shouldn't have given that hint about the mm -hmm. images, the title of the movie. Ah, idiot. But isn't that cool? That's a cool premise, too. They've unlocked the last thing that a victim sees, and when they look at it, it's four flies on gray velvet. Now, if I was the detective, I would be like, well, we're fucked. We can't do anything with that. <laughs> what are we, how are we supposed to get any clues on four flies on gray velvet? <laughs> oh, we got to look for some guy wearing gray who stinks. He's got a bunch of flies around him. Good luck. <laughs> well, That's a Dario Argento film. Yeah, it's a Dario Argento yeah. film, too. I've never seen Four Flies on Gray Velvet, but I have seen the trailer for it which is just a slow zoom on a ventriloquist dummy's face. And when it finally gets into tight close-up, a hatchet comes in and smashes it to pieces. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's good. And I like that title. Flies cool. on gray velvet. 
All right, so Justin, flies on Justin is absolutely smoking your ass. Jack? With four Justin points. Justin and I are a team. Corey has one point, and there was one question that neither I had a rough got. week. You better let me have this. You better <laughs> let me. Okay, final question. That's what I'm doing. I'm just letting <laughs> Justin win. Yeah, you're I'll- doing a good friend deed. <laughs> exactly. A love triangle on a chicken farm mm. devolves into double cross mm. and murder. Ooh. Is it A, death laid an egg? <laughs> B, the bird with the crystal plumage? C, one on top of the other? Or D, a lizard in woman's skin? I really hope it's a death laid an egg. Corey wins Whoa. the yellow <laughs> quiz. Actually, she doesn't because I didn't say this one was worth all That's the points. That's true. You didn't. Oh, you didn't. So sorry, Corey, you got the ding, 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 but Justin wins the Giallo quiz. <laughs> Which? Is it Which? too inappropriate to make a Bill Cosby Giallo pudding joke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the Giallos with the hands and the gloves and the knives and the interesting cinematography. <laughs> well, folks, that's the pod. That, my friends, <laughs> is the show. You can follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, I highly recommend you head on over to patreon.com slash cinema possessed pod and unlock the cinema possessed bonus materials. Those are our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, get a little unhinged on those. Oh, things go crazy on the Patreon bonus episodes. If you hadn't seen on our social media, you can hear Jack, Justin, and I get into an actual fight on some of the episodes. Over the movie Stepmom. <laughs> <laughs> Did all of that make it in? <laughs> Not like, all of it. Enough to make some people of it uncomfortable. Had to sure. be cut because it is just too. I listened perfect. back to it and I was like, "People don't want to hear this shit." <laughs> it gets to a point. I cut down a 15-minute-long argument to about six minutes, and even at six minutes, I still think it probably makes people uncomfortable. And if you want to know what we're talking about, guys, go yeah. subscribe to Patreon. Check that one out. It's definitely one for the history books <laughs> for the Cinema Possessed Pod. And come on back next week, folks, because we will be doing the final film of the October spooky movie month. We're talking Peter Jackson's The Frighteners with Michael J. Fox. Just in time for Halloween. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Witch. Bye. 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 <laughs>